Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, we are starting a brand new series today. And this series we have entitled God of the Valley. And so I've got a special message that I prepared this morning specifically for you that I believe is going to just speak right into maybe the valley that you're going through right now. So that's that's what ahead. That's that's what's ahead today. We're going to be preaching from the book of 1 Kings chapter 20 um, verses 1 through 30. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to uh, join me there in God's word as we go to it this morning. I believe that we live for mountaintop experiences. I believe we do. What are they? These are times of clarity, of achievement, of, of joy, of closeness with God. I, I believe that we live for these times, don't we? You know, I've gone through some mountaintop experiences myself, and I know that you probably have too. Getting your driver's license was a mountaintop experience for me. Um, graduating from college, getting married, buying my first home, uh, finding, finding uh, my first job in, in a church here in Payton City, having children, working really, really hard to achieve something really difficult. There's been so many mountaintop experiences that I've experienced in that way. These are times when, when I felt good about myself. Felt like I was on top of the world. Felt, felt, felt closer to God and, and good about who He is and about, about, about His purpose for, for life. You know, I can, I can also remember some mountaintop experiences that I have had spiritually. You can probably think of some too. I can think back as a child to attending summer camp and uh, that being a highlight, a mountaintop experience. When I got to be a teenager, it was, it was youth events, it was missions trips, it was retreats, that we, we came back away from these events on what I would call a spiritual high. See, we love mountaintops, don't we? But what's the opposite of a mountaintop? Can I ask you that question today? What's the opposite of a mountaintop? It is a valley. Now, if you live here in West Virginia, if you're part of our church, um, we are no strangers to valleys here in this state. A valley is basically a, a low area between two hills or mountains, and typically there's maybe a river or a creek that is running through them. You know, on, on, on occasion, our association with the word valley is actually probably most likely negative. Um, we characterize valleys, and that word valley, as, as times in our life that are painful, that, that are dark, that are scary, that are sad, that, that are depressing. And, and, and I, I know times in my life that I can remember that I would characterize as valleys. These were times of, of loneliness, of confusion. Anger, um, when I had failed personally, frustration, feelings of fear, feeling, feeling far from God. These were times that I would characterize as valleys. 
And, and you know, often I, I've, I've gone through these times and, and um, one of those valleys I would call the valley of loneliness. I don't know if you know it. You may have this in your profession too. You feel like there's nobody that really gets you. Nobody that understands what you do. And, and I'll tell you, leadership can be a really lonely place if you've ever been a leader before. When you feel like there's just nobody that understands. I've been there before. I can relate. And you, you probably have that in whatever area you are in right now. I know for you that you have experienced valleys in your own life. And you may be walking through one right now. And so if that is you, what I want you to get from my message today and from this message series, God of the Valley, is, is I want you to know and understand that while we love mountaintops, it is in the valley that we discover who we are and more importantly, who Jesus is. It's in the valleys where faith is forged, where vision is revealed, and where breakthroughs happen. It's in the valleys of life that God's presence is made perfect. It's made real and his power is made perfect. Think about those valley times and let's remember that God is the God of the valley. During this series, we're going to talk about some valleys in scripture. We're going to talk about not only the physical relation of them, but the spiritual component that went along with them. We're going, to, we're going to navigate through the valley of giants, the valley of shadows, the valley of bones, and the valley of suffering. We're going to, we're going to actually be beginning in 1 Kings chapter 20 today, and it is the passage where this series was built upon. And I've entitled my message today, God of the valley. As you look at 1 Kings chapter 20 with me, you'll see that 1 Kings 20 opens with a king named Ben-Hadad. He's the king of Syria and he has attacked the city of Samaria, which is in Israel, God's people. He's assembled a massive coalition of 32 other kings and, and nations together to together invade Israel. And it says in, in two, verses 2 and 3 that it says that he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel. And he said to them, thus says King Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and your children are mine. What he said is this, I want your gold. I want your silver, I want your prettiest wives, and I want your smartest children. That is what I want. And King Ahab, he, he said back to him, Okay, we surrender. We're, we're no match for you and the 32 other armies that have come with you. But you know, that was not good enough for King Ben-Hadad, even though that, that is what he had requested. No, King, King Ben-Hadad actually sent messengers back to him, then saying, not only do we want your gold, your wives, your children, and your silver, we also want to be able to let our servants go into your city, the city of Samaria, and just take whatever they want and whatever home they want. We want free reign. Well, it says in verse 7, that the kings of Israel, they called all the elders of the land together. And all the elders and the people said to him, do not listen 
or consent. Don't listen to him, King Ahab. Don't do it. You've already given once and you didn't seek our counsel. Now we're giving you our counsel. Do not give up. Well, a message goes back to King Ben-Hadad. Ahab sends it, sends it to him. And he says, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And he is furious. King Ben-Hadad is furious. He sends a message back to King Ahab and, and the city of Samaria. It meant to intimidate and meant to scare. If, if, you're, if you're looking at those next few verses, you'll see, you'll see that there's some smack talk going down. Basically, his message, his trash talk back to King Ahab and back to the city of Samaria was this. We're going to pulverize you. We're going to grind you up. We're going to take you down. You're going down. And verse 11 says that the king of Israel then answered him. And he said this. Tell him, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. Wow, okay, did you, did you understand what he's saying right there? King Ahab's reply to all this trash talk from King Ben-Hadad is this. Save it. Save it till after the game. Maybe you've been there before. I don't know if you've played sports before or not. But man, you, you know those, those uh, matchups between a, a really, really good team at the top of the league and the worst team at the bottom of the league. And if you've ever been on that, that winning, really, really top, top tier team, and you're playing that bottom tier team, you'll know that in the locker room as you're putting on your pads and, and, and your cleats and your socks and, and all, your, all your equipment, that you're just, you're just gloating inside. You're just like, this is going to be easy, and you're trash talking the other team. You're, you're gloating about how, how high you're going to run up the score. You're just like, we, we got this. No problem. No problem at all. But can I, can I ask you to remember this? Do you remember those games when you gloated about winning before the game even started and you got out on the field and things just went south? Do you remember those times? Yeah, that's basically what King Ahab is saying. He's saying, don't gloat before the game begins. Let's play. Let's fight. And we'll see who wins. Usually the reason that you lose when you're that top tier team against the lower tier team is because you get lazy, you get arrogant. And that's what King Ben-Hadad did. He got lazy and he got arrogant. It says in verse 12 that when King Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. Now, King Ben-Hadad, he, he's ready to attack the city. He tells his men to, to go in and fight. And guess where he is? He is sitting there drinking with the other kings. He may have even been drunk. And in verse 13, it says that, that, that what happens is that in, in King Ben-Hadad's arrogance, a prophet actually comes to the king of Syria, or to, to the king of Samaria, King Ahab. And this prophet in verse 13, it says that he came near King Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord. And this was the role of the prophet, to speak for God, speak the words of God. He said, Have you seen all of this great multitude? Of course he has. Behold, I will give it into your hands this day, and you shall know 
that I am the Lord. This unnamed prophet could have been Elijah because we see him a couple of chapters earlier with the prophets of, of Baal. Um, he announces to King Ahab that God is going to grant him a great victory that day. Now here, here you need to understand something. I just mentioned Elijah. You remember the story of Elijah? Yeah. For, for years, God had sent a famine to that land because they, were all, they all had turned away from the Lord. And Elijah was, was one of the faithful prophets that was speaking for God during that time. And Ahab hated him. He was trying to kill him. Well, in two chapters before, maybe it's one chapter before, we see that Elijah comes and, and meets with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And basically, they have a competition. They say, whoever's, whoever's God can send down fire to this altar and burn up the offering, that is who is going to be the Lord, the Lord God. And, and there the Lord then sends fire down from heaven. The, 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 the prophets of Baal are killed, and, and the nation seemingly turns back to the Lord. But you know, for all this time, Israel has been in a place of rejecting God, haven't they? They, they worshipped idols. They persecuted the prophets. What they deserved was God's judgment, didn't they? God had every right to abandon them just as they had abandoned him. But you know, there's something that, that, that you need to know that is the truth of the gospel. This is the joy of the gospel. Why we gather as a church, why we preach it in this valley is that our God is he is rich in mercy and he is faithful in love. And he promises that he will defend his people that day. And they will win a great victory. Now, did they deserve it? No, they didn't deserve it. They were unworthy, but they were worth it to God. Now, you may be feeling the same thing right now. You may be feeling far from God. You may have walked away from God for many years. Maybe you have a lot of regrets. Maybe you don't feel worthy of God's favor. But can I tell you, you may be unworthy. And even if you are unworthy, which we all are, we all are sinners, you were worth it to God. Because we see that in Scripture, He sent His own Son into the world to save sinners just like you and just like me. Unworthy. So worth it to him that he gave his life for you. It says in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. God receives glory by showing his faithfulness to people who are unfaithful. Now, why does God delight to show his grace to those who are un unworthy? We see it right here in this text. So that they will know and that you will know that he is the Lord. God promises to give the Israelites victory over that Syrian army. As we get to verse 14, we see Ahab then asks a question. He says, in verse 14, Ahab said, By whom 
By who? Now Ahab is he's looking around, he's hearing the words of this prophet, like you're gonna win the victory, and he's like, By by whom? Who's gonna win this? Because he's looking around at his his army and he's like, certainly not us. That's why I, that's why I, I gave in at first. You know, whenever God's work is to be done, here's a principle that I need you to know. We often ask that same question, by whom? Don't we? Yeah, we do. See, when we ask God that question, oftentimes we expect that God is going to answer our question by bringing us someone new. Um, maybe someone like a, a leader or, or a champion, someone that can do the work or, or at least help. But what I see from this passage and what we see witnessed all throughout Scripture is this, that God's ways are not our ways. So stop thinking that God has to do it your way. Ahab's over there like saying, by, by whom? Who's going to do it? And God's, God's like, no, I'm, I already have a plan because you already have everyone you need to do the task that I have called you to do. And that is the truth. That is truth. God's way of working is to use the people that are already there, even if they seem to be an unlikely army. He says in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 14, it goes on and says, he says, thus says the Lord, and he answers him, by the servants of the governors of the districts. In other words, I'm going to use the rookies. I'm going to use the B team. I'm going to use the young men to lead the way. The young rookies that don't have experience. I'm going to have them go out into to this massive army and I'm going to give you the victory through them. And that's exactly what happened. They go into fight and Ben-Hadad's army is defeated. Ben-Hadad, he, he couldn't believe it at this point. Now, as you, as you read on, he says he's, his army is retreating in fear of the Israelites. And verse 23 is an interesting one because it gets into why we named this message what we did in this series, what we did. It says that the servants of the king of Syria said to him, They're gods? The gods of Israel? the gods of the hills. And so they were stronger than us. You know, the people of Israel at that time, they believed in what I would call regional deities. There was the sun god, there was the moon god, there was the rain god, there was the fire god, there was the god of fertility, the god of war, the god of the hills. And mistakenly, the Syrians believed that the reason why they had lost was because Israel's God is the God of the hills. He's the God of the hills. They mistakenly believed that they had lost because Israel's God was the God of the hills. Now let's, let's just pause there for a second. Don't we often do the same? You're like thinking, no, I don't. I don't ever think that. Think about this for a second. Go, go back with me to those times when you felt like you were on the mountaintop, right? We go to church. We, we get all hyped up for Jesus. We go on a retreat. We get on a spiritual high. That's what we call it, right? We get into nature. We see God's creation. We feel close to him there, don't we? But I wonder what others then would observe about our God and say then about our God based upon what we do and what we say about him. Think about it. What do they think when they see just 
our highs. When they see you, you're, you're all I need is Jesus and coffee t-shirt. All, all, uh, you know, they, they see you posting pictures of, of your, your coffee cup with your Bible. They, they see maybe um, your beautiful family on vacation or, or all the social media posts from, from your church. And they see Valley Kids Camp and Sunday services. And, and they see the highs. They see the exciting. They see the positive, the easy, the, the comfortable. And I believe what they would conclude and what we sometimes conclude and what others conclude is that your God is the God of the mountains. But let's see what happens when they get into the valley. Let's see where their God is for them in the valley. And that's exactly what the Syrians said. The servants go on and said this, since he's the God of the hills, that's what they thought. Verse 23 but let's fight against them in the plain, in the, in the valley. And surely we will be stronger than they. If we, can't, if we can get them in the valley, they believe that they could defeat them. Their God is powerless there. So the Syrians, what they did is they, they took a break and they rebuilt rebuilt their army for a second major battle in the springtime. And this time, after they had rebuilt, they were larger and they were stronger, much stronger than before. If the odds had been against Israel before in that first battle, this time, Israel was sure to lose. It says that, that Ben-Hadad obviously was not going to be embarrassed again a second time after, after, after this, this first defeat. He was after revenge. That's what he was after. It says that the, the people of Israel, in verse 27, encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Syrians, they filled the country. That's what they did. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers, we're going to see, were fighting against just a few thousand. They had no chance. And this time, they were going to be fighting in the valley. Verse 28, keep on reading. It says, And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, and he is not the God of the valleys, Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. See, what God did is he, he took the flawed theology of the Syrians as a personal insult. Because they say that I'm just the God of the hills, I'm going to show them that not only am I God of the hills, that I am the God of the valleys, I'm the Lord of all. I'm going to show them who I am through you. And they will know that I am the Lord by doing the impossible. You know, oftentimes I believe that we can have a flawed theology of who God is. A.W. Tozer said the greatest thing about, about you is your conception of who God is. Is And often, often I believe our conception of God actually is much less than who God is. If you just think about the, the first three of the Ten Commandments, you'll realize that they were because, they were there because God is saying, I don't want you to reduce me. 
don't want you to reduce my glory. He, he said in command number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Command number two, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. That's, that's number two. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? Because it reduces him. Just as it reduces God when we only live from spiritual high to spiritual high to spiritual high. That we will, when we believe that God is the, just the God of the mountains, not the God of the valleys. When we praise him on the mountaintops and not in the valleys. When we trust him when everything is good, but question him when things are really difficult. Can I just ask you this? Could it be that Jesus walks us through the valleys to show us and to show others that he is Lord? Maybe you're going through a really difficult time right now. Maybe you're wondering where God is in all of this. And I, I believe what God wants to tell you is just as I am the God of the hills, I am the God of the valleys. And David, it was him that declared, and we're going to keep on coming back to the psalm through the series. In Psalm 23, he said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I am the God of the valley. Can I encourage you? Embrace the valley that you're in right now. God uses the valleys that we go through to show us and to show others that he is the Lord. Maybe for you right now, it's, it's the valley of disease. Maybe it's the valley of a difficult marriage. Maybe it's a, the valley of infertility or divorce. Maybe it's the valley of joblessness or, or debt, the valley of frustration, the valley of struggle, the valley of pain. Maybe it's the valley of doubt or the valley of death. What valley are you in right now? Can I encourage you just to say, Jesus is with you in your valley. Jesus is with you in your valley. Could I also get you to think, could it be that the reason why you are in your valley is so that Jesus can show you and others that he is Lord? You know, many, many of you pray, Lord, please save my son, please save my daughter, please, Lord, save my husband, save my parents, maybe, maybe my, 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 my grandson, or save my coworker, save my friend. And we say, do God whatever it takes to get them to see that you are God and that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. God, do whatever you will. Can I ask you, what if what it takes for them to see that Jesus is Lord is for Jesus to walk you through a valley. And for Jesus to go through that valley with you to show them and to show others and to show you that he is Lord. And God, he brought Israel through, through the valley to show him, them that he is Lord. It says in verse 29, and this is what happens. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. And on the seventh day, the battle was joined. They're in a fight. And the people of Israel struck down the Syrians 
and 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. Just think about that. 100,000 veteran soldiers, warriors, wiped out by the tiny army of Israel. The Syrians, they, they couldn't believe what had just happened. Verse 30, keep on going, something even more amazing. It says that the rest fled into the city of Aphek and the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left. They're running into the city and, and maybe because of, because of all the commotion, because of, because, because of this massive army running into the city, obviously it didn't have a good foundation. The wall just <laughs> collapses upon them. 27,000 men die. They retreat to the closest city, the walls fall. A great and miraculous victory is one that can only be explained as the power of God. God was showing them that I am not only just the God of the mountaintop, I am the God of the valley. You probably remember Corey Ten Boom. She was a woman who went through her own valleys in World War II. They were not Jewish, but they hid the Jews. They had compassion on them, and they hid the Jews from the Nazis, but, but were then discovered and captured and taken to an Auschwitz death camp. Many of you have probably read the story or, or heard of the movie The Hiding Place. And Corey, she is quoted to have said this, There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. No matter how deep your valley is, there is something deeper, and that is our God. He is beneath it. He is below it. He is in it. Another thing that she said is this. You will never know that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You know what, church? I believe that our mountaintop experiences can give us an incomplete view of who God is. They can. And so if you're going through a valley right now, I want you just to praise him for that and trust that he is working everything for the good of those who love God. If you love God, he's working it for good. You may not understand him right now, but praise him in it. Praise him in the valley. You know, our church, Valley Church, it is situated in the upper Ohio Valley. And recently, we just named our church Valley Church to represent who Jesus has called us here to reach. And this, this, this valley is a place that suffers from some of the highest rates in our nation of depression, of drug addiction, and of domestic abuse. This valley is a dark place. But in this dark place, the light of Jesus, it shines brighter. Just as Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death by dying on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, it proves that he can bring hope and light and healing to the people of this valley and to our world. And so as we end this message, maybe like Israel, you're feeling depressed you're feeling down, you're feeling like you're in a dark place, there's, there's a lot of fear or depression in your life, maybe there's a lot of guilt or feelings of unworthiness, can I tell you, trust that Jesus is with you in your valley.
and he is walking with you. He wants to bring you through, so place your trust in him. If you're going through a valley right now, I'd like to pray for you. We're going to end our service in that way, just, just praying for you. For those of you who are going through a valley, I'm going to just pray that you would just be able to walk closer to Jesus during this time and to trust that he is Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the witness of scripture that tells us that you are the God, not only of the hills, but of the valley. God, that you are Lord of all. I pray for those that are going through their own valley right now, and I pray that they would just put their trust and their faith in you during this time. God, that they would seek you and they would find you, Lord, when they seek you with all of their heart. God, I pray for those that may not even have a personal relationship with you right now. God, I pray that if that is them, that they would, in faith, just express to you what you say about yourself, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through you. God, I pray that they would repent of their sins, that they would trust in you and pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I confess of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you alone are the way and the truth and the life. I believe that you can save me. That you can walk me from the valley of the shadow of death into your home, your life eternal. God, I give you all of me today and declare from this moment that you have full control of my life. Thank you for saving me, for walking with me, and for making me whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for being with us today as we began our brand new series, God of the Valley. Join us next week at Valley Church or online right here, same time, same place uh, next week. And uh, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, through email. Um, we would love to pray for you, encourage you, and see how we can help you grow in your faith in Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.